There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, it's beginning of the month again, so that means it's a sky guide and obviously it's for June and June is quite an important month, well, especially for me because it's my birthday this month, so... <coughs> so joining us on the line from a short absence is Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing sir? Awesome, happy birthday, I'm back. Obviously, we couldn't get in touch with each other for the podcast because of work commitments and other bits and pieces. So we asked Will to to jump in. And yeah, it was a bit of a surprise that he he dropped the bombshell that, yeah, I'm getting married tomorrow. So it was like, ah, why didn't you tell us this before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just got a message from you afterwards going, yeah, it went really well. Did you know Will's getting married? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't think I've congratulated him yet either. That's really bad of me. I think my wife saw it online and said, oh, it looked really nice and everything. <laughs> I think they got in the papers as well. He was a bit upset because they said that he worked for Kilder Observatory. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's politics. <laughs> but yes, I'm back. Yeah, so Eurovision got in the way, didn't it? And work commitments and my work and... It went a bit crazy, didn't it, last month? Yeah, as always, the Eurovision podcast is a huge editing event. So it was a task for me to get the Sky Guide and the Eurovision podcast out on the same weekend, uh, which I managed to do. I was quite proud of that. Well, it was worth it because we came second, didn't we? Yeah. Where did that come from? It's all down to the fact that they got the right people involved with it now um they've got people that are doing distribution rights across europe so people are more aware of our artist and hopefully more of the same please i happened to be on a stag do and i was watching it <laughs> i was playing pool in a casino it was brilliant when it was coming up i thought oh, like, what we're there i was like we're usually at the bottom i was like what are we doing up there the weird thing was they actually hooked up with the International Space Station. Hello Eurovision, ciao Torino. This is the International Space Station calling. I'm Samantha Cristoforetti, and as a European Space Agency astronaut of Italian nationality, I am thrilled that Italy is hosting the Eurovision Song Contest this year when I am up here in space. My crewmates and I wish you a thank fantastic evening of music and friendship and we can't wait to discover this year's winner ciao oh i missed that i was too busy playing pool (laughs) (laughs) how cool is that see space is everywhere even in eurovision we managed to get it in there somewhere so speaking of last month we have got something we've got to talk about quickly and it's going to be over by the time this comes out isn't it yeah it suddenly reared its head out of nowhere as most things do in space and there's meant to be this sort of meteor storm apparently <laughs> as the press put it yeah yeah we're not too sure about this at the moment but it's meant to be something called the tau herculid meteor shower 
Uh, I'll go through a little bit of history really quickly for you. So in 1930 there was a comet. It was discovered by a couple of German astronomers. It orbits the sun around sort of every 5.4 years, so nothing really special. It's quite faint, couldn't really see it. So why is it suddenly special out of nowhere? Well, they said in 1995, this small dim comet suddenly and completely unexpectedly just brightened out of nowhere, just like Neowise did a couple of years back. And it eventually became visible to the naked eye. It's referred to as SW3, because I'm not going to pronounce the full name, because <laughs> it's long and hard. So in the spring of 2006, the comet then decided it was going to disintegrate. So it really brightened, it disintegrated, and it broke eventually, I think, into about 68 pieces. I think Hubble had a look, and it's the Spitzer telescope had a look as well. And they found that a lot of these pieces on breaking up actually got pushed out towards our orbit. So they're now saying that the Earth would or could or is going to have a direct sort of interaction with this material that's released, possibly causing a meteor shower. There's not going to be death and destruction, all bits of rock flying down at us or ice, so don't panic. They have been reported in history before, because when we have a direct interaction with it, it creates a meteor storm, because there's loads of dust as opposed to a shower. And it has been reported through history as like intense meteor showers, stuff. I think there's a few pictures of loads of stars dropping from the sky and stuff from history. But, I mean, I'm trying to find information at the moment, and it is really hit and miss. Some are saying it could produce the same amount as like the December Geminid meteor shower, which is about 100, 120 an hour. So it's not really a storm. Or it could be absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. No one knows. So it's going from meteor shower to nothing. So for the UK, it peaks at 6am. That's bright and rubbish. So we're going to have to wait and let you know. And have to talk about it next month and say it's either going to be an awesome show or we're going to be sitting there going, well, that was rubbish. Moving on. You're saying it peaks sort of end of May? Yeah, they're, they're saying it's the 30th going into the 31st. So would there be a chance of seeing anything after that point, probably? Not a clue. I'm thinking if it's, if it's peaking there, they're saying it's a really short peak. It's almost like you go through it and it's gone. That's ah, it. Right, okay. So whether, you know, I don't think we're going to go and it's, it's going to be a build up throughout the night to its peak and then a build down. Well, they've given it like a 22 minute window or something from what I've read. But, you know, it's, it's quite hard to find the information about it because it's quite new. It suddenly happened and they didn't realise it. They're all kind of going, oh, we need to find out stuff. What they're speculating could be wrong and you might see something in, in early June. You never Who know. Knows? Yeah. So they're saying it's in between Boots and Ursa Major. So around sort of like the Boots constellation, I'd say. It was Hercules and it's kind of moved over past through Boots towards Ursa Major where it's going to radiate from this saying. No, no, like it'd be cloudy anyway, but... <laughs> But I thought it was worth talking about, just put a bit of history there and say, at the moment, when we're recording, we're waiting for it. But, who knows? Fingers crossed. Right. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to go straight into the Sky Guide for June. Explorers. The same curiosity that sends us to the stars at the speed of thought urges us to go there in reality. And whenever we make a great new leap, we elevate humanity, bring people and nations together. 
pleasure, new discoveries, and new technologies. So remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal. So Ross, June, what are we looking for? So the beginning, and funnily enough, the end of the month as well, are great times to get out and try finding those deep space objects. Now, I've always been chatting about deep space objects, but I've never actually said what they are. And this is kind of my own interpretation of it, really. So I look at the planets and the moon. They're closer, as we know, because they're in our own solar system. And you can generally see them quite easily with a naked eye, apart from obviously Uranus and Neptune. You will need a telescope to see them. Now, asteroids, minor planets, dwarf planets, whatever else they're calling things out there now, they're also generally closer, but they are harder to see because they're small and further away, but they're still kind of count as close because they're still within our solar system. So deep space objects, I would say, count as things that are outside our solar system, like nebulas, globular clusters, other galaxies. Although I do also like to think of them as fainter objects as well, because they're further away, they're fainter, they're harder to see. So when the moon is about, or there's a lot of light pollution, they're the things that you know I would count as kind of deep space objects because they're harder to find with those things there. So, as the moon is out of the way at the beginning of the end of the month as well, it's the best time to pop out and hunt for these cool sites. So that's what really a deep space object is. Although the nights at the moment are short and bright, there's still plenty to spot. You can still see stuff out there. I've still seen galaxies this time of year and things like that. So beginning, end of the month, pop out, get your telescope out if you've got it. Even binoculars, you can spot nebulas and things if you've got a keen eye and a steady hand. Right, onto the planets. Again, they're still up in the morning sky all of them as far as i'm aware they're all up in the morning sky so if you look kind of to the east around about 1:40 a.m that's when saturn starts to pop up and it rises up followed by jupiter and mars that's around 2:45 that they come up venus then joins them at about 3:40. so they're kind of later now so it means that you can actually get to see them a bit easier than last month or the month before when they were kind of in the bright morning sky mercury is also going to be rising up in the morning as the month goes on but it's going to be really low and quite a hard spot Neptune is literally to the right of Jupiter and Mars, but it's going to be far too bright for us to spot here at the moment. Even with a telescope, I think it's going to be difficult. You probably won't be able to see it at all. Uranus is also really close to the sun for us to see. So we're going to have to wait a little while, a few more months, to actually find the fainter farther planets with the uh, sun coming up at about 4.50 a.m. now, and it's setting around 9.10 p.m. That's a long day. <laughs> Luckily, we don't work daylight hours now. So that's the month in sort of like planets and you know deep space objects in the moon. So the highlights of the month, starting on the 6th, the moon is almost at its quarter phase. So tonight is a great time to spot the old uh, lunar X and V, which are known as Claire Obscure Effects. And it's where the light and shadow on the moon creates an illusion of letters on the moon's surface. Glancing off a few craters, Apparently the X is only visible for a few hours before the first quarter moon. So a few hours before the first quarter moon is when the X is visible. 
So it's actually quite a narrow window of opportunity to spot it. I didn't realize that. I thought it was up maybe like the whole night, but it's actually only a few hours you can see the X. So if we move on to the 10th, around about 1.50 a.m., the moon is going to occult a star. So Theta Virginis is the name of the star. Nice, easy one to say. It's actually a multiple star system in Virgo, and it's going to slip behind it until about 2.28 a.m. They will be low, as they do kind of both set just after the event itself. And remember, timings can change depending on your location. So it's always best to pop out a little bit beforehand. The allotted time is just kind of like for the center of the UK. So 1.50 is the center of the UK. Below and above can be before or after. So get around out, get out early and have a look. It should be able to be seen by the naked eye, but if you've got binoculars, great thing to see. So you actually see the moon sliding across the sky and covering up this star and then it pops out the other side just as it sets. So have a look at that. We move on to the 14th again it's a full moon and it's not far from its closest point to the earth at the moment in its orbit around us so the moon is actually known as a super moon, super moon. Super moon. Super moon. It's just something they call it. It's just a full moon. It might be slightly closer, that's all really. It does appear slightly bigger in the sky, which is part of that and mainly because of an illusion caused by sort of our atmosphere and the fact that our eyes can't really judge distances up in the sky compared to the horizon sort of thing. So it makes it look bigger and stranger. In fact, they're still kind of debating why the moon does look really big as it's coming up on the horizon and when it's up in the sky it looks different they actually don't know so they still don't know today they're still talking about it all i can say is that it's going to look really cool as it's rising up above the horizon about 10 pm so pop out see the super moon on the 16th mercury smallest planet reaches its greatest elongation to the west so it's now a morning planet it was in the evening, I believe, last month. It's going to be joining all the rest of the planets with it rising around about 4 a.m. But the sun rises, what did I say, 4.15, something like that. So it's not a great time, really, <laughs> to try and spot it because it's going to be bright. But if you do have a low eastern horizon, you might be able to spot it with a pair of binoculars. They might help. Just please be really, really, really careful because you will be looking near the sun. Don't look at the sun. It will really hurt your eyes if not burn them out. You don't want that. So if in doubt, don't do it. There'll be other times later in a couple of months where you can probably see it better. But it is there if you want to have a look at the naked eye and stuff, you might be able to spot it. Moving on to the 19th. The moon now meets Saturn in the morning sky again. The planet will be just sort of to the top right of the almost half moon. Saturn is slowly getting higher and higher into the morning sky. So viewing will get better as the months go on. So if you can't see it now, don't worry, it's gonna get better and better for us. It's just a cool little thing you might see in the morning. Move to the 21st. Today is officially the Northern Hemisphere's summer solstice. And it's where the sun at around 10, well around, it's meant to be 10, 14 a.m. exactly. It reaches its most northerly position in our sky. We actually think that it might have been related to the timings of crop cycles, not circles, let's not get them involved. <laughs> marked by uh, Celtic people, and they actually marked it by lighting bonfires, which they thought would actually help boost the sun's strength for the rest of the season for a nice healthy harvest. <laughs> it might have helped with uh, carbon and CO2 maybe, maybe that made it warmer, but that that'd probably dry them out, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do the opposite. But that's what we believed in the days. We tried to help the sun stay nice and bright by burning bonfires. I don't think it reached it, let's be honest. 22nd, there's a nice crescent moon and it's now going to be near the gas giant Jupiter in the morning sky. It's actually placed in between Mars and Jupiter. So even though it's closer to Jupiter, it's right in the middle of both these planets. Jupiter is going to be the easiest to spot because of obviously the brightening morning sky. Mars will be there, but it'll be harder. So if you find Jupiter, look at the moon, you might see Mars next to it. 
Right, 23rd, it's all in the morning again. So it's now Mars's turn to meet the moon. So it's swept underneath Jupiter. It's now going sweeping towards Mars. The moon's gonna have now swept underneath it and the thin crescent will almost be completely below left of the faint red Mars. So if you didn't see it, this day in the morning might help you just find that little dot of red, which will be Mars just above it. 26th, Venus, really nice bright planet. It's now gonna meet the crescent moon, so it's moving towards Venus. Mercury's gonna be rising a little bit later. It's gonna be a very nice thin moon, and it's gonna be pretty much just above Venus. So you might get a cool little look there, sort of like really bright Venus, small crescent moon. It might be faint, but there's the star cluster Pleiades, just there, a cluster of really bright blue stars. So if you're up in the morning, you might get to see them quite faintly above it, a little, almost like sparkling blue dots, maybe, if you're lucky. Binoculars will obviously help, especially seeing the cluster of stars. It might be quite cool to see in the morning because you usually only see them at night. So pop out, have a look. Just be careful with the sun again. I always have to say that just in case. And then last but not least, on the 27th, Mercury will now lie even closer to the moon. So the moon's gone across all the planets and is sitting right by Mercury, low on the horizon. It's gonna be directly above the tiny little planet. Very, very thin. I think something like 3%, if that, crescent moon. So both are gonna be quite hard to see, but if you do find it, you might see a tiny little white dot just below it, and that would be Mercury, if you haven't got any trees or anything in the way. So just make sure you've got a nice low horizon, and yeah, just have a bit of fun planet hunting and moon hunting. to our special objects of the month. Now for the naked eye object, I've gone for a couple because I had a friend who actually mentioned something. So the first one is the summer triangle and it's really cool. I like the summer triangle. It's, it's kind of an invisible triangle that's created if you draw a line between the star Deneb, which is part of Cygnus's tail. So you go to the star Deneb, Cygnus's tail, you then draw a line to Vega that's to its top right and that's in Lyra, so it's a bright blue star Vega. You then draw another line down and it's to the tail of Aquila, which is Altar, the star. So there's these three bright stars, the Neb, Vega, and Altar, three different constellations, and they mark like a huge summer triangle. It was actually popularized apparently by Patrick Moore in the 50s, and it's actually been found in writings that date back to 1913, but there is actually an old Chinese tale that's called the, uh, the Cowherd and the Weaver Girl. There's actually a story about these stars dating back around 2,600 years ago. So they're obviously quite prominent stars that, you know, our, our ancestors have seen and done stuff with. So we now just call them the Summer Triangle. But if you look up the story, I think it's something about a boy-girl falling in love. Something happens, they get thrown into the stars. And then someone draws a line between them across the Milky Way so they can cross and meet each other. Something like that. So that's quite cool. A little bit of history there thrown in. Now, while you're out looking up at the sky and seeing this Summer Triangle, keep an eye out for satellites. They're like bright white dots of light that seem to sort of whiz across the sky. Now the reason I say this is a friend of mine from work was actually out the other night. He's literally just bought a new pair of binoculars because I showed him some. He's gonna got a nice pair. I think they're 20 by 80s and a tripod. And he was out one night just for 20 minutes having a little look and he told me he's just 
how amazed he was at the speed of them and the amount of them. He tried to keep them in his binoculars and kind of follow them and he was like, they are so quick. So that just made me think, do you know what? We never mention these things, never say go out and have a look at them. So while you're up there looking at the summer triangle, why not have a look? Why not sit there and go, right, I'm gonna spend half an hour looking up at the sky, count how many you can see, how many satellites are flying across the sky. You might even spot the International Space Station, which has actually been seen with ships and capsules sort of following them, where they've been docking with them. Now, Mark's, Mark's the expert on this. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few sightings when the Starliner from Boeing was chasing the International Space Station to make its first docking there. You quite often see SpaceX Falcon rockets depending. There was one recently, wasn't there, where you could actually see this big blast of energy where the, the two parts of the rocket actually separate from each other to, to go further on in, into space. It's almost like a contrail, but a really sort of big blue one, isn't it? Yeah. Going up into the sky and people going, oh my God, I've just seen this in the sky. It was moving, it was doing this, blah, blah, blah. What is it? you just seen a rocket. Yeah. you just seen something going up into space and we can see it from the UK now. It's awesome. And with this new space centre that is being built in Scotland right now, it's, it's there. The visitor centre's there and everything. They were saying before the end of the year, we might actually get a, a small rocket that's going to be launched from there. So... There might be a chance of seeing that in the UK. The UK space race has started. Yeah, yeah. A little bit late, but we're catching up. It's called Spaceport Saxavord. Spaceport. It's named after, I think it's got something to do with some Viking connection. Oh, I like a bit of Vikings. So You got me now. <laughs> there's some history behind the name of the, the Spaceport. And uh, they do have a podcast, actually. I might actually get in touch with the guys there and say, look, do you want to come on our podcast and talk about what you do? Which would be quite interesting. Why not? You've got to have a couple of podcasts now we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> He's making work for himself. Yeah, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We always look up because you never know. You can see satellites, you can see spacecraft now, you can see rocket launches in the UK, which you thought you could never see. Because normally you think you'd have to go to Florida or America to see these sorts of things. So I've not seen one yet, so I am going to have to find out. Mark's going to have to send me links and tell me when they're happening. I'm trying to think when the next one's going to be. There's always Starlink ones going up all the time, so... <laughs> Crazy. Right, so while you're there looking, get out your binoculars. Look at Cygnus the Swan. This is our binocular object. It's actually the whole constellation, really, is our binocular object, because it just has a whole host of clusters all over the constellation. So get your binoculars out. Start with maybe the star Sadra, which is the middle one. And it's kind of like where the wings of the swan join the body, right there. You'll see tons of little clusters of stars. And they actually say the next star, which is on the swan's neck to the right, which actually doesn't have a name. It's got a definition, but I'm not going to say it because I can't say these things. The next star along to the right, they discovered a sort of galactic X-ray coming from there. And they figured it all out. And they said it's probably one of the first black holes that they actually found by accident. So while you're hunting for objects all around this awesome sort of constellation, slap bang in the middle of the Milky Way. It's like the swan is flying through the stream of the Milky Way. So there's loads of stars, clusters, little bits and bobs to see. And if you look at that second star on the neck, just look at there for a little moment and just think, technically you're kind of seeing a black hole. You're never going to see it. But you are looking right there where there is a black hole. That's mad. That's really cool. So that's the binocular object. Moving on to telescopes. If you've got a telescope, going to the swan's head now. So Iberios, the swan's head, it's a double star. So it's kind of like a gold giant star with a blue companion. And it's actually one of the most famous double stars in the Northern Hemisphere because a lot of them are kind of the same color, maybe bigger, maybe smaller sort of thing. But these two are completely different contrasting colors. 
So Birio is like a double star of a great contrasting companion star that they orbit each other and things like that. So if you look for a telescope right at the swan's head, you'll see this really bright gold star and this really cool smaller blue companion. It doesn't look as fantastic as the big gold star. Because it's blue and sat right next to it, it looks really cool. I love it. I, I love looking at this star. So if you get a chance, you've got a telescope, should be able to make it out of a small telescope. I haven't had a look in binoculars yet. I might have to give it a go. So I know it's a telescope, but you never know. So that's our telescope object of the month. Astrophotography. Right by the swan's tail, there's the North American Nebula. It's just below left of the uh, star we were talking about, or the swan's tail, the Neb. Can't really be seen by eye that well at all. That's why cameras are really great to bring it out and see it. It's a wicked uh, emission nebula, and it resembles the shape of North America, funnily enough, hence its name. I believe it was William Herschel kind of noticed a faint milky nebulosity around here when he was looking for his telescope and stuff. But it wasn't until later on when someone did a long exposure picture of it and he could see it all in its glory. It's absolutely crazy. It's huge as well. So in most pictures, it appears as a huge red mass of cloud and dust. When I looked at it, it actually looks like there's a, a black gap in between it that almost looks like a sword sort of shape. It's like a sword with the hilt there. So a big black gap with dust and stuff in the way all there. So why not pop out, take a picture of this area, see if you can see it. From what I can see, it's a really cool, big nebulosity of gas and stuff, and it comes out really nice and red. So yeah, astrophotography. Look forward to seeing your pictures. And that is June. With a massive pattern forming there, I think. With swans in every single category. <laughs> <laughs> After some reason, a swan just did me this month. I was like, oh, there's a swan there. I might talk about that. For people not in the know, Cygnus is a constellation that resembles kind of a swan. And um, it's one of these names that pop up in spaceflight as well because one of Northrop Grumman's spacecraft is actually called Cygnus. Um, and a lot of their spacecraft are actually named after space and constellation terms. So as I say, there's Cygnus and there's Antares. So you'll find a lot of the different terminology within spaceflight are reflections of what's happening in space itself. Now, you know how humans are. When anything becomes interesting, mm -hmm. they start calling their kids after it, don't they? Yeah. Do you reckon we're going to start having in the future when we start going into space, we're going to have loads of kids called cool names from like stars and <laughs> nebulas and... <laughs> Funny you should say that. I don't know if it's a coincidence, but a um, friend of the show and honorary crew member Gareth Jones, his eldest son is actually called Tycho. Or well, Bex, our volunteer, son's called Orion. That's kind of a cool name. So it's obviously starting already. <laughs> it has begun. I know there's a few dogs and stuff called Luna and things like that. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> Lyca is a great name for a dog. Yeah, Lyca. Lyra. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> what we need to do, we need to pattern all the names. <laughs> yeah. Pattern them now. No, can't call your kid that unless you give me money. <laughs> <laughs> We've detected the future here. We've predicted it. Let's see if it comes true. I know that there's been a huge fundraising exercise going on for the inflatable planetarium and I believe that you've got some connection now with the William Harding Trust. We do, yes, yeah. My wife has been non-stop. She is a machine when it comes to fundraising. It's what she does like during the day. She, she helps other charities and stuff like that and talks to them all about it. She finishes her work and then like, has a cup of tea, dinner, and then, right, I need to get money for us. 
and then she sits there fundraising all evening for us. So yeah, I believe they, they donated like £5,000, wasn't it? From what I, She only told me yesterday. Wow. Yeah, since October, we started fundraising for the inflated planetariums. We go and teach people. And I believe we're, we're up to just under, what, £27,000? And I think we need 39, something like that. But that's for the max, you know, the biggest, the best. So we didn't even think we'd get close to that. And we're already nearly there. <laughs> we're actually meeting up with, uh, I forgot what they're called now, Immersive Experiences who create domes and we're actually meeting up with them next month to actually go and view a load. They're going to bring them to a hall for us, inflate them, show them how they work, how much they cost, which ones what, what sort of deals you can have. And I was like, it's actually happening. And it's only been since October. I thought it'd be years and years. So I have to take my hat off to Frankie. She's a machine. She doesn't stop. Everyone thinks I'm the main, you know, the main man when it comes to astronomy, but behind the scenes, my wife just, she does everything. So yeah, bless her. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, I can't thank her enough, really. So um, I've done it before, but I will be putting something in the show notes so that people have got somewhere to go to, to donate towards UK astronomy, because we're there to help each other. And... It is a great thing to put some money towards because the things you can do with an inflatable planetarium is amazing because when you've got situations where you can't get out and do things outside, you can bring it inside and it just makes it more interactive. And for me, anything that is interactive just makes the information sink in. Instead of instead of me standing over a projector and a screen or a TV, you actually can sit in and look up and see all the stars and I can zoom into planets and nebulas and there's loads of tours you can do and it's just non-stop as there's so many talks and so many things. Sometimes it brings a little tear to my eye just thinking how many kids and adults we can have in there and actually they won't be disappointed because it's cloudy. Because I can go, right, it's looking cloudy tonight. So instead, see that dome over there? That's what we're going to be doing. And they love it. They absolutely love it. And that's what it's about. And I understand you've also been in talks again with the Parks Trust. I have, yeah. I've been a busy boy this month. <laughs> the Parks Trust wanted to do some events. So I went and met with them. Two really nice ladies. It's not the usual lady I deal with. There's like three ladies and they all handle different sort of parks. So I sat down with the other two. I've forgotten their names. So I'm terrible with names. And one of them's like, oh, we do bat walks. If it's clear, would you come along and do like star as well? And I was like, oh, I've got a laser, but you can point at the stars safely. I can teach them all about the stories in the stars after they've done the bat walk. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. That's a different take on things. And I like bats as well. So I'll go along and, you know, hopefully see some of that as well and learn. So they want to do that with me. They want to do a couple more talks. They want to do some solar stuff because they obviously have picnics in the parks and things like mm -hmm. that. They have all nature days, which are awesome. So yeah, they've invited us along to do more events with them and do stuff like that. So the Parks Trust are there. This is Parks Trust Milton Keynes. I think there's Parks Trusts all over, aren't there? I think so, yeah. So this is the Milton Keynes one. If you have one locally, look up Parks Trust. The amount of stuff they do, they do sort of like moth nights, bat nights. They do all sorts of stuff. They do more than just look after the parks. So you definitely have a Google and find out your local one and see what events they do. There's tons for kids, absolutely tons, especially like bugs and stuff. The last thing I went to with the Milton Keynes Parks Trust was that history event that they put on. Mm. That, was, that was pretty cool. So yeah, tons and tons. And then, yeah, we've been looking for halls. So a friend of mine, Andy Smith, very, very good astrophotographer, came along to a couple of events. And he said that there's been lots of people asking for help with telescopes. 
because obviously through the pandemic, people have all bought telescopes. They don't know what to do with them. Now we're allowed back out, vaguely. <laughs> we can now go out and they, they're saying, oh, we need help. We don't know what to do with them. So we were thinking, well, let's do a scope aid night. We just rent a hall for a few hours. People bring their telescopes along. We have a cup of tea, some biscuits. We chat to them. We help them build their scopes, move their scopes, how to use their scopes, all that sort of stuff. What you can see and things like that. Just generally just help people. Otherwise, the scopes are just going to be left in the garage and they're going to miss out on all of, you know, the cool stuff you can see up there. So we've been hunting around for some halls. So my friend Nigel's helped me. He's got a lovely hall. Like he's, he's part of, He helps out there. Absolutely amazing. I'm sure, I'm sure it's called Pattish Hall. Pattish Hall? And then we found some in Olney. And then from that, I posted in the Facebook group saying, oh, we've got a couple of halls now. A scope aid is coming to a hall near you. And then I've had about four or five emails saying, we've got a hall. Would you do it here? Yeah, come on in. Let's do it. So now I'm off going to visit another load of falls. Which is great because you get to meet the whole community and everyone around it. So yeah, really, really busy. It's nice. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be out again. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's fantastic you having you back again eventually. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, but thank you very much. Will's jumped in twice now, hasn't he? I think it's his third time, actually. Is it, is it his third, was yeah. it? Blimey. Because I think there was two months where you couldn't do it because COVID was giving you jip. Have you noticed the cough, Scott? Yes. It seems it seems to have disappeared. Like a couple of months ago, I was really struggling, wasn't yeah, I? Just a poor, poor Mark had to cut out like two hundred coughs. <laughs> <laughs> Took him twice as long to do a podcast with me, but now it seems to have settled down, and I seem to be. What's that? It's over a year later. Mm. So yeah, now we've got monkeypox. Apparently, you get a, a overwhelming urge to climb trees and grow a tail. <laughs> it does look horrible, to be fair. I'm not gonna. I shouldn't really joke. It's horrible from what I've seen of it. Ugh. Right. As I mentioned to you on previous podcasts, we have got some stuff that Johnny's putting together. I haven't had a chance to speak with him because he's been so busy because he's, he's been commissioned to build some of these weapons from uh, a video game, which is really cool because he's going to get paid for it. So that's that's fantastic. And, and he's getting more involved with the actual company that makes the video game Warframe. And he's, he's becoming more on board with that now. So he's been really, really busy. But um, John did have a field trip out in April and he's got some audio from that that he wants to put into the show. So we need to get together and do something with it. And we, we've got some guests planned within the, the next couple of months as well. So hopefully we're going to bring you some more stuff there. But in the meantime, whilst we haven't got stuff coming in, you do have the sky guides to fall back on so that's fantastic that we've got uk astronomy there to help us out with that it's one of the the highlights of the month anyway because i i know for a fact that listeners do enjoy listening to the sky guides yeah oh that's good i like to hear that so that leaves us with the usual things to end the show with and that is saying thanks for listening stay safe everyone and we'll speak to you all again real soon Clear skies, guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your backyard. 
Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.